0: Hello and welcome to Perspective, this is a show by founders of small indie creative agencies giving our perspective and starting to run our own companies. The aim is to provide some useful advice and inspiration to others as well as learn from each other and others we get to come talk on the show. This is our eleventh episode, my name is John Dark, I'm a director at Every Interaction and today with me again I have Tom Johnson from Lighthouse London, hello Tom.
1: Hey hey, how's it going? Very well, how are you? I'm all good thank you very much, it's very nice to be back.
0: Excellent, it's fantastic to have you back. Cool. And today's topic, we're thinking about how you go about choosing the right projects to work on. What we want to do is be able to sort of briefly cover a whole load of different things that run through our minds when a brief lands on our laps, however that happened, and the criteria that we internally and I guess externally sort of run through as a business to determine whether we should even take on piece of work or you know, take the time to respond to the brief in the first place. This is pretty important to do because you obviously don't want to start taking on or spending a lot of time writing up proposals
1: for projects that just aren't suitable for your business. Definitely, they take ages. So we don't want to do that as much as possible.
0: Yeah, massive time sink. And for various reasons, if it isn't right one way or the other, you've got to have a pretty well defined set of criteria that you as a business agree upon so that you don't end up wasting a lot of your time.
1: Yeah, we, we definitely used to waste loads and loads of time on this stuff. So it's quite good to talk about how we don't do that now.
0: Yeah, likewise. I think when you first start out, you're super enthusiastic, you know, maybe even a bit desperate for work at times. And so you'll, you'll pretty much take on anything you want. And I, I do recognize that, that this advice is coming from perhaps a position of slight privilege and that I think we've both moved on quite a bit from those days now. Yeah, luckily. Yeah, we we've got the ability to be a little bit selective with the types of projects that you take on. Yeah, absolutely. Not everyone can afford to be in that position, especially if you're pretty new and starting out and just need to, you know, have the money coming in in the first place.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we we were like that for a long time, um, and many people are. But I think. A lot of these things we didn't put in place because we were worried that, like, if we don't go for this thing, that's bad. You know, we had to go for everything that came through and we shouldn't even, you know, we should send a proposal for everything. But when we started to filter things and and look at stuff that is completely wrong, it actually didn't affect us too much, which I think is common for quite a lot of people, I would hope. So there are some things you should definitely step away from and, and you need to know to do that.
0: But also, even if you are small and new, yeah, you, you do need to have some kind of filter because otherwise, even though you need the money, taking on the project can end up costing you more than you make from it. Oh, definitely. If it's not right, if it's not suited, if it's any number of reasons, it can just be very costly to your business.
1: So yeah, we thought we'd cover off
0: what things go through our minds when we go through uh, looking at these briefs and trying to make those decisions. And hopefully that will help some of you out and you know, give you some criteria to use to make those decisions yourselves.
1: Sounds good. Let's do it
0: so number one on the list is repeat business so obviously if you do a job of a certain type and it's a type of job that you want to do more of logic dictates that if you do a good job of it it'll make a nice case study you're more likely to win or be invited to pitch for that type of work in the future
1: Now, I've seen a lot of agencies that just do one type of, uh, you know, say website or or product, which has always been a little bit strange to me because we don't do that at all. I don't think the sectors we work in are are very, very broad. A lot of people make a good living out of doing one type of thing and repeating, and I I guess they love it.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, having a specialism and, you know, you could be doing e-commerce, for example, and just targeting a lot of e-commerce clients. Yeah. Even within that, you may be targeting certain types of e-commerce clients or specific verticals within e-commerce, such as fashion retailers, because there could be some specific problems or niches or issues that you would solve on one client that you can apply to another and be more efficient in that process. Hmm. Not every agency takes that approach. We've done some projects that have similarities in the past, like we've done one type of project that was logistics-based. And we did an exercise recently where we looked at all the work we've done over the past couple of years. and groups of different clients we've worked on into these different categories to try and see some commonalities in the types of clients that we've worked on. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see the sort of correlation that you didn't probably see before, didn't even make the connections, but we saw, you know, actually, there's this sort of cluster of logistics-based clients over here. And when we think back, it's that those clients often got in touch with us because of a case study that they thought was relevant to their business
1: yeah yeah that's interesting we might we might have to do that i don't think we have or if we did it was a long time ago so things probably changed but it's interesting on the other side of this that the people often ask us if we've done this the exact same sort of thing for another client so you know how much experience do we have making a a school's website or you know something or something even more random clients often value that a lot whereas i feel that you know we would be able to do lots of different types of work and the fact that we've done that one specific sector before doesn't necessarily make a big difference but from the other side of the table I think it does
0: yeah and you know there are obviously business benefits to be able to that in that you can if you know how to do something well once you you can learn from that experience do it better next time there are certain efficiencies that come with that and you know either you can pass those savings on to your client and offer a better deal or increase your profit margin by having increased internal efficiency very true so yeah there's definite benefits to working in something in a similar vein I definitely wouldn't want to do like a carbon copy of something
1: yeah we we sadly have done that before but it's it's been a while
0: (laughs) (laughs) there we go so yeah think about the repeat business this might bring you and the possibilities it opens up for similar or like-minded clients in the same vertical or in the same sector Uh, and just take that into consideration because uh, good case studies lead to getting more work So the next thing you should be thinking about is if you have the skills that are needed to do a good job of it. So I definitely recommend to people not to take on jobs that are quite a long way out of your comfort zone, unless you make it pretty clear to the client that that is the case. And for you, it's going to be a bit of a learning experience.
1: Yeah, we we always try and learn something on a project. and, And that's quite a key thing that we want to make sure that we get something new out of each thing we do obviously doesn't always happen because you know the nature of how things go but yeah we, we've always kind of been very wary of agreeing to do something that we know we just don't have the skills for because i mean we did that years ago back in the days when we were taking everything we could get and some of that ended very badly um so now you know we, we're maybe overcautious sometimes um on taking on things that we feel there might be a tiny bit of what, what we're able to, to deliver comfortably Again, you don't want to make
0: it boring, so you just take on the same stuff over and over again because it feels safe. Especially in this industry where the goalposts keep shifting on what we're doing and new technologies, new advancements, new ways of thinking and doing things. It's nice to do new things sometimes, but you've got to be comfortable taking that step and it's quite often a good idea to make sure your client's aware that you haven't done that particular thing before and just to say, to come to some agreement with them essentially uh, it could be that you give them a discount to allow you the and d time on it to get up to speed or it could be you know they're quite happy to pay for you to do that exploratory work because it is such a new thing and they can't find anybody else out there who has experience in it
1: yeah I think that as our projects get larger we, we're kind of finding the edges of what we can do or, or legitimately do with the team that we have so in in many things certainly the much bigger projects' we're taking on we're finding uh, other people to work with so we know that we're not uh i don't know like marketing experts that we know enough to get people certain places but then we have partners that we we work with and we're just open with clients about that so when we know we've hit the the, the roof of uh or the ceiling of what we're doing we'll be open about the fact that we'll get in a copywriter to say who's much more experienced than that kind of thing and and that's great for us too because then we learn from them so we're kind of like ramping up our skills in that area by working with this um this partner that we use, and and we know we can deliver on that, uh, and maybe next time around we might be able to use more of that learning that we've made from the project to kind of do more of it in-house. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. Don't turn stuff down just because you don't have the skills in-house. Don't be afraid to go out and source the skills. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Like, you say to be open about that.
1: Mm, oh, you should be. People don't really care a lot of the time. They really don't. So you always think if, if people think oh someone else is doing this, someone else is doing that, doesn't matter. They're just getting a team of specialists. So it's uh yeah not something to worry about a lot in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, we work with a load of independent specialists who have disciplines that we don't require full-time and bring them in ad hoc on projects as required. Uh, We just package that up into something that we sell on to the clients. Similarly with development, if our usual go-to development partners don't have the skills to take on what we're talking about.
1: Then you come to Lighthouse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey,
0: <there you> <laughs> yeah, we we know a lot of people. We know a lot of agencies, and each each company's got its own little specialism for doing different things. You know, it could be that it needs to be done in Ruby and it needs to be done Agile, or it could be yeah, yeah. could be a mobile app and you need some you know iOS or Android development skills. It uh, could be all in web and PHP, and yeah, you know, it really depends on what what's required, but. Then not be afraid to source out partners and either offer to the client that you're going to manage that resource for them. Or if it's a substantial amount, give them the choice of, well, you're quite welcome to have this relationship and manage them directly. Or, you know, try to push them like, we're well, we're going to use these external partners. This is what they cost. We're going to need to manage them and their output and work with them. So we're going to have some additional project management time on top of that. Yep. So capacity is a big one. Definitely. If you've got a a lot of work on right now, your plate's pretty full, don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. Just don't accept stuff just because you want to take it on. Make sure you can actually deliver on it and your existing commitments aren't going to hinder you or make you not able to deliver what the client's wanting in the timescales that they're asking for.
1: Yeah, that's really tough, isn't it? Because I mean, you know... It's it, it's really hard to turn down work that you really want to do, um, but but you have to be ready to do that if you just know you can't deliver it, or or say to them we really want to do it, will you wait a month or something? And a lot of the time they'll say no, but it, it's worth asking.
0: Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for more time because because you you know you're already busy on stuff. I mean we've all done a bit of burning the midnight oil and working late and just having to knuckle down and get stuff done. I mean, we actively try not to do that these days, and of course, yeah, you know, trying to give everyone in our business a bit more quality of life. But you know, you can't control. Sometimes th- these things happen, and and you just need to knuckle down and get on with it. It happens. Try not to put yourself in that situation knowingly too often, because it's better to reserve those uh, late nights for emergencies and unknown scenarios rather than make it into your business as something cultural where you're always taking on more work and everybody's always working late
1: that is weird I, I, like i hear agencies really do that all the time and it just seems really strange like you can't survive like that forever
0: no it's not healthy
1: no like your staff or whoever would just hate it i mean who wants to be at work late every night it's crazy
0: yeah there's a bit of a culture of it in the design industry in particular i feel yeah i think it's just one thing having had a career of, of Doing crazy hours for agencies and people who don't treat you well enough to deserve that kind of loyalty. Yeah, yeah. I actively made a point of not imposing that on our staff and trying to plan things well enough so that we don't put them in that situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Fully agree.
0: Uh, and on the capacity front as well. I mean, obviously, there's a finite amount of people in your business, and sometimes opportunities may come along to you that are, you know, pretty big. I guess just don't take on something that's too large for you to take on. It's all up to you in in terms of how you want to manage risk in your business. But we have a rule of thumb that we would never take on something that generates more than 50% of our annual revenue, for example. Oh yeah. Yeah. Simply because it's too many eggs in one basket. Definitely. You'll come to rely on that money. And if something happens to that relationship, you know, it's out of your control. Someone could just pull the plug on the entire project, that revenue stream disappears. And suddenly that money you've come to rely on has just dried up out of nowhere. If you've built up a business and a, and a number of staff relying on something that's that large of a percentage of your revenue, then you know, you're going to have to start firing people or you know maybe even close the business. It's a big gamble to take.
1: That is definitely a, a quite scary situation to be in.
0: Yeah. Just this year, we um, came across quite a meaty opportunity that was really exciting. It was totally, totally in our wheelhouse project. We really wanted to do would have been a great tentpole client, brilliant case study, Mm. but it was just a bit too big for us. It would have been way too much resource for us to pile into one project. There were some additional conditions around it that didn't suit our way of working and our existing client relationships would have suffered. We wouldn't have been able to take on all the other stuff we had in our pipeline at the time, and we just had to, you know, make the decision to, to gracefully turn it away.
1: Yeah, we've done that plenty of times, actually. Um, And and some, you know, we don't work with a lot of kind of big name brands, but most of the work that we've turned down has been that kind of thing just because it was just too big for what we can legitimately take on and and deliver well on. And they'll
0: appreciate that as well. If you do take something on and you mess it up because you haven't got the the ability to deliver on it, Mm. or vice versa, they mess up and your business goes under, Mm. then, you know, it's not good for anybody. When we've done it, clients have been... Very understanding and appreciative that we haven't put them in that risk.
1: Yeah, definitely. definitely,
0: Because it's a, it's a risk to them taking on you. Oh, totally, yeah. You know, that, that's that's putting a lot of pressure on the person who's making that decision in their business as well and their neck may be on the line. So you know, you've got to think about everyone else in the situation.
1: Yeah, completely.
0: Uh, other reasons we've turned stuff down in the past? Things like conflict of interest with existing clients. So, you could still be working with a client who they may see this new business as a potential competitor. And obviously, you probably shouldn't work with them both. In these scenarios, whenever you're concerned that that might be the case, I would say just talk to your existing client and walk them through what this other business does, assuming you have permission from the new business to do so, and just see if they have any concerns about it. On a few occasions, we've Spoken to some existing clients and said, "Look, we've got this new inquiry from this this customer coming in. We think it's sort of in your ballpark. Do you mind us talking to them and, and asking more about their project?" And quite often they've said, uh, "Yeah, we don't mind at all." And they didn't see them as a competitor.
1: Yeah, have have people said no before then? Have they uh, not been happy with that? Hmm. No, I don't think they have actually. Yeah, I think if you if you're honest, people generally okay. I think we, we we've luckily never had to turn anyone for that reason, but it's 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 come close. I think add to new things at the same time which are in very uh, very similar sectors but yeah we've never had to turn one down but yeah i i reckon most people wouldn't wouldn't really mind that much value if you just if you're honest with them
0: yeah i mean we have turned them down for this reason mm. but it's a call that we've made without even yeah, speaking yeah. to our client because it was so obvious yeah also this is this is a handy one to keep in your back pocket for people you want to turn down gracefully
1: <laughs> yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> If you really don't want to do
0: it for some reason you can just say oh sorry i we're currently working with someone who does something dangerously close to what you're doing and it's just a that's a good one it's a polite way of saying no thank
1: you (laughs) i'm gonna remember that one definitely
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another interesting one is moral conflicts so this is a little bit difficult to give some advice on really because obviously it's a very personal thing and there are things that some people feel fine doing and others that people would feel weird doing so I mean we've tried to move away or you know tried to never actually do anything in the gambling sphere although we've been asked a few times we, we worked on a few things that sort of came close especially in the early days uh, sort of lottery style products uh yeah but um that's sort of on the fence really <laughs>
1: that's really gambling or not yeah that's that's a tough one isn't it yeah but things that are clearly designed to to milk poor people of money yeah i i would not do that at all i don't know if there's anything we we would turn down like a i suppose gambling but yeah anyone that and someone's going to be ripped off by i wouldn't want to do um we have been offered porn before um wow. okay yeah <laughs> just what, as cool. payment <laughs> wow i would have taken that <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah that that was weird i think uh i feel like it was a while back um but dan was a little bit at work and uh seemed like it might be i think it came from someone that he kind of respected quite a lot and they turned around and said yeah it, it's porn so uh we uh we decided not to not to go for that one yeah right now well someone's got to do it right yeah exactly i wonder who does i mean they'll probably make quite a lot of money of it if they are yeah i wouldn't be
0: surprised yeah
1: but yeah there's, there's been a couple of things that we haven't done in, in the past but it's, it's it's quite rare that we get that sort of situation um come up luckily which is good or maybe we've just got very low morals i don't know <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've definitely worked not not as every interaction, but in my agency days on um a lot of Diageo alcohol brands. Oh, Okay. That sort
1: of spirits and uh, whiskies and things. Yeah, well, we've done drink stuff recently, or fairly recently, so I don't mind that so much. No, that feels acceptable. Well, we we also got free booze, so it was um bonus. You know, how are you going to turn that down?
0: <laughs> I have turned down quite a long time ago. Now someone approached us about something cigarette based. Uh, in the states, yeah, and yeah, definitely wasn't up for that. Yeah, I
1: think I'd turn that down as well. But vaping, though, I do, I do a vaping. site. oh, do you? Okay, so <laughs> no, <no, I> <laughs> that's okay. Then no one gets killed by that. So, if if all the the vaping clients want to come on, so over, we know so far, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, yeah, true. It, we have t- <laughs> time will tell.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, no, yeah. no. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, you draw your own line there. You know, I know people who will only work with charities. Wow. You draw your line where you want to, but it's important to have one. It's important to have a line and some rules, and you shouldn't compromise on those.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, A bit of a personal one, but when the client gets in touch, you obviously get to know them as a person a little bit. And if the person who you're engaging with as part of that new business coming in is the person who's going to be your point of contact or a, a large part of the project, you've got to make sure that you're going to get on with them.
1: Completely. I think this is one of the biggest ones for me. You spend ages working with these people, and it gets quite intense at times. So you have to, it has to be someone that you have that rapport with, or that you know that that you get on with.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, one thing we've started doing is that we will never take on any work without meeting people. These days, mm-hmm. we, we wouldn't ever take on a job just by emailing or even just talking on the phone. We would always have to have a face to face workshop or a meeting of some kind. You know, worst case, even if you do that on Skype yeah you you need to meet the people. you need to have a really good conversation with them. You need to understand them and get a gut feel from the communications that you have with that person, the type of person that they are. I guess it comes with experience, but you'll quickly learn the type of people who you know are they know what they're talking about you know this isn't their first radio mm-hmm. they've clearly got experience. you know that you know they're going to be a joy to work with or even you know just not a nightmare basically
1: yeah completely i I totally agree about the meeting thing I mean you know meeting people face-to-face is is a big part of our sales process anyway um because we find that it works really well for us so we'll always want to meet these people if possible and uh, it's rare that we we can't do that you know skype's not great you know it's still kind of a face-to-face thing but it's nowhere near as good as actually being in the same room as someone and seeing that kind of body language and and working all that stuff out so it's it's really really key for us yeah that's that is
0: important but it's not always possible so you know do do what you can and just maximise the amount of communication with the people before you really make a decision.
1: Yeah, and and kind of related to that is then buying into the way that we work, which is um, I, I don't think it's like completely groundbreaking, and and lots of agencies and studios work in the way that we do. But you want them to see the value in in how the way that we work might be slightly different to uh, to other people. So certainly when it comes to building products for people and making them, uh, you know, our, our startup clients, um that's a big part of working out yeah. if this person's right if they really see why our approach being slightly different is much better for them in the long run
0: yeah they've got to completely bind to you and what you're about because uh, if they disagree with your philosophy or your way of working or if your processes then yeah. you know clearly it's not going to go well
1: and sometimes people kind of nod and smile and go oh that sounds amazing but you just know they haven't actually decided they're going to do it like you say with with experience you kind of work that stuff out because there's been nothing worse than signing contracts and doing all this stuff and then kicking off and realizing that they actually just want to do the same thing that they came to you with, with in the first place. Yep. So yeah, tricky.
0: I think my ideal clients, my little checklist is that they are they're knowledgeable and passionate about their industry, they're organized people and they make themselves available. Mm. They understand the creative process and you know, they're receptive to new ideas being introduced, established conventions being challenged, you know, they're not completely shielded off and defensive every time you try and suggest something and also people that have confidence in their own decision-making. Uh, to me, that's the sort of person who's going to be an excellent client, really receptive to the whole design process, and they're generally going to probably do a lot of the project management of, of the, the business from their end, which is going to save you a hell of a lot of hassle.
1: Yeah, I've just written those four points down, so I'm going to be using them, uh, using them in the future. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: And if you're really not sure, um, I've never done this, but this occurred to me the other day that the way that a client would ask you for a reference when thinking about hiring you, this is, this is a two-way street here, this is a two-way relationship, this is much your decision to work with them as it is theirs to work with you, so don't be afraid to ask your client for a reference.
1: Mm, okay. Surely
0: they've worked with an agency before. It may be that they are a startup, and everyone in it has never worked with an agency before. That's fine. You can, I'm sure they've worked with someone or had a job. You could speak to their previous boss or a, a colleague. You know, don't be afraid to ask uh, clients for uh, a reference.
1: I've never, yeah, I've never thought of doing that, but that's uh, that's quite interesting. Now, I've never done it
0: before, but I only thought of it recently, and I think I might try it.
1: Yeah, you should do. See what kind of reaction you get. Yeah. If someone else tries
0: it for us, please uh, yeah. let us know. Right way.
1: Why don't they do it first and then they can tell us <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> there we go, yeah. I'll get you on the show to come talk about it.
0: Uh, the big ones when thinking about whether you're going to take on a project or not are obviously budget and time. Thinking more about budget first, I would say obviously... You need you want to find out what the budget is ideally before you agree to do something or at least arrange uh, before investing a lot of time in putting together a response specifically you just want to make sure that the budget that they have isn't too low to achieve what you feel is going to be a you know decent job
1: yeah i mean that's it's always a, a tricky one isn't it really and, and people shy away from talking about budget and i'm sure i think uh, people have talked about that on the show show before but you've got to know that really because uh, you just have to know from the start whether it even sits within the range of of what you're able to do and whether it's the right fit for you
0: yeah it's a difficult thing to get out of people and in my experience it's just easier to flat out ask people don't feel ashamed about it i mean this is a business arrangement money's changing hands you need to know if they've got enough money to afford you
1: yeah definitely um Sometimes it's good to, you know, if they really aren't going to give you any idea, just say, is it this kind of amount, something a bit bigger, or something much bigger? You know, which which one of those three is it? Because then they'll they'll be able to tell you something there. Um, rather than naming a, a figure, that that kind of thing might work. But yeah, people, it's always difficult to do that. Or
0: even just indicate to people a, a very broad range.
1: We often do that actually. So based
0: on what we know so far, that you know the, the, the sort of ballpark could be anything between twenty and fifty grand.
1: Some of us are a lot more vague than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they can they can be crazy vague.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the time they just want to know what ballpark you're in, and but don't want to give the game away. So it's just this silly little game that happens. You just want to make
0: sure people don't want the world for five grand, and yeah, completely. Yeah. You know there's just absolutely no chance in hell that they can afford you and and don't be rude about it if if they reveal that just go oh unfortunately it doesn't sound like you 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 can afford us yeah we cost a little bit more than that and we feel like to deliver the type of work we need to do we need to charge these rates because talented people cost a lot of money offices in london cost a lot of money yeah, yeah there's a whole process we need to follow it's part of doing good design yeah it does take time and talent and that's what you're paying for so
1: yeah, no, we, we often say that you know these these things take us ages and involve a lot of work, so we have to put the the hours in, and 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 they cost that much money uh, when the budgets are a bit too low for.
0: Yeah, so try and get that out on Tim as soon as possible. Obviously, if, if it's a large company and it's quite obvious that you know they've got the cash, then it isn't always something you need to necessarily ask. But you'll quite often find that those types of clients are most open to reviewing
1: their budgets. Yeah, those guys usually just tell you straight away. Um which which is good to know. Um but you know sometimes we've um we've talked with clients who seem like really good jobs that that had told us the budget and it was too low and we just straight up went back to them and said this sounds great. We're a bit more expensive. Can you do anything about it? And and sometimes they just say no, that's the limit. But other times people come back and be like, well we found, you know, thirty percent more and that made it worthwhile for us. So it, that that conversation is always helpful uh in many different ways.
0: Yeah. Budgets aren't always completely chiseled in stone. They can be flexible. So don't be afraid to ask. Another option might be if you really want to do the project, to just agree a more limited scope. Yeah. Cut a few things out of their shopping list uh, in order to be able to hit their budget. Yeah. Um, quite closely connected to the budgets is timelines. That's important to make sure you have enough time to do a good job of it. But also sometimes people have deadlines that are put in place for one reason or another that could be some other activities which this thing has to be ready for. If you think those timelines are unrealistic and they seem unwilling to compromise on them then I would recommend that you let them know that and if, if they refuse to budge then don't compromise because you're just going to end up putting yourself in a situation where you're going to struggle to deliver something of a good standard that you're happy to put your name to in the time that's available.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think this one's actually the most common one for us. We often find that budget-wise we're okay on a lot of projects that come our way, but so many come our way with absolutely ridiculous timelines. And that's either from people who don't understand how long it takes to do this stuff, which is a kind of sort of warning sign in itself, or, you know, there is some event coming up and they've left it too late to, to even think about this project and they're now they're in trouble essentially so yeah this is really common from us and we often have to just say to people this is just not not doable and and walk away which is a real shame sometimes because some of them seem like great great work but we just know through many years of experience of like really trying to meet deadlines that, that aren't possible that that's just one of the worst things you can be doing
0: yeah just don't put yourself in that position i mean we've done it in the past as well and I'd, we definitely wouldn't do it again
1: not to say it doesn't happen every now and then still but you know you try and step away from that stuff
0: yeah, design is a process, you know, you can't put a well-informed solution out of a hat. Oh yeah, definitely. If you don't feel you can stick to the process that you think you need to do to deliver a good job in the timelines that they've stated, then just let them know that. Sometimes clients are willing to, to ship timelines and quite often we've found that people are putting timelines into briefs and deadlines that aren't actually connected to any justifiable business reason.
1: No, that's common. Yeah, we, we often ask people, why is this deadline in place? And they're kind of like, well no reason
0: yeah always ask why absolutely
1: yeah a, a thing that makes us laugh quite a lot is the the time that it takes people to make a decision to, to hire us i think we had a job recently where they took two months to go through the process of getting proposals in and, and making decision and then wanted it done in four weeks and it, oh. it's <laughs> kind of like well you know you took that long to do that so you how are we going to turn around building you this this thing in in half the time they, they'll stick to these deadlines and say oh we took three times as long to decide to hire you Uh, Can we still meet the same deadlines? It's like, well, no, because that's going to damage the project. So that that happens quite a lot for us. Obviously, getting sign-off and winning jobs does take time and it goes on.
0: On projects where there is a deadline and it does seem viable, when they mention a deadline, in any proposals that we do, we'll do a time plan to make sure that we come in on that deadline to make sure it's possible. And there will be dates in that time plan where we need to make sure we are kicking things off. And there's always a contingency in that timeline as well to allow for overspill and decision-making, signing stuff off. You can't cut these things close. And if you put in a proposal and you say, right, this is going to start on 1st of July, and this is where it it finishes in the end of September. In order to hit that end of September deadline, we have to start on the 1st of July and that's in the proposal. And if they don't make the decisions or delay starting the projects until after that point, then the entire project plan has to shift.
1: And I think it's also making them aware of what they've got to do in the in the projects as well from from their side. So what, you know, are they going to take ages to sign something off? And that's something that should be, uh, be in your mind as well when you're deciding whether to take this thing on. You often
0: find that the biggest source of delay is probably the client themselves, especially if there are parts of the project that are out of your control. It could be that the content is being provided by the client. That's always a red flag to us because that's never, ever going to be delivered on time.
1: The content is always the one that slows down every project we've ever worked on. If,
0: if you are in control of it, you, you can guarantee it's delivery. If it's somebody else's responsibility, you've got to make sure you're not in a position of being held accountable for other people's schedules.
1: Yep, totally. Another
0: possibility is that you simply don't agree with the brief. Some briefs come along and they could be quite prescriptive around how the client wants to do things. They could have already have made quite a lot of decisions about the project direction and the things they want done. And it's quite possible that you know you would you would look at that brief and look at the problem they're trying to solve and think that what they're suggesting isn't the right solution. And this has happened to us a few times. It's usually in the case where a client already has a product and they're doing a revolution on it or they're wanting to make some changes or bring in some new functionality and they've already done a reasonable amount of background work to decide what it is that they actually want to do. If you don't agree with what they're asking you to do, you should definitely raise that and speak up and tell them your opinion and say that, well, I think there's probably a better way of doing this. We probably wouldn't take on the work if they weren't receptive to those new ideas.
1: Yeah, no, that, that situation is terrible. We, we often get people coming to us with a predefined uh, product that they want to build and they've got a technical layout and all this kind of stuff and they've got database designs and the, yeah it's it's actually really really common giving us a tech spec on something that they've only really just got an idea in their head for it, it's a lot more of the kind of startup product stuff obviously um but that's really really common and it, it kind of goes back to, to what we are saying about the ideal person to work with is someone that gets the fact that we're going to ripple this up and um and you know validate all their their assumptions uh, is really important. But if they're just like, no, this is what I want. This is what you, I want you to build. We'd walk walk away, always. Absolutely. But certainly, something from a boardroom or committee is also equally scary. Uh, because I've been in that situation many a time, and you know that's just ugh, terrible. Yeah. If you just don't
0: agree with what they're asking for, just just don't take it on.
1: Uh, I guess connected
0: to that is uh, you know, too much red tape around around the brief.
1: Yeah, and we've, we've sort of just touched on both of those, really. Having a big committee of people signing off stuff uh, is always a huge stage inside for us. People that just feel like they're going to be a complete nightmare to work with. Uh, I mean, there are loads of different ways that can happen. But when you just kind of get that vibe that it's just going to take a long time for anything to get done and, and that relationship is just going to probably turn sour because of it, it's um, maybe best to cut your losses and, and not dive in.
0: Yeah, to me, this is something that, that just naturally comes with scale as, as you start working with larger and larger clients. Absolutely, yeah. The larger the organization, the more levels of hierarchy there tend to be inside. And, yeah, I mean, we do work with some large companies and they have quite a progressive way of doing things. And those companies have usually given somebody quite a lot of autonomy in their own business to run their own team and projects independently and give them quite a lot of freedom to do what they want. But Sometimes, yeah, you, you do meet people who have a lot of red tape and you've got to make a decision as to whether that's worth dealing with or not. It obviously is at a certain scale, it could be worth it, it's up to you to decide.
1: It's it's hard sometimes, we we do a fair bit of work with um, academic institutions uh, and they're quite known for that kind of thing, so lots of this committee's going to meet this week to discuss that and then we're going to take it to the other one to discuss that and that soon eats into your time. And then they talk about stuff about you there and come back and give you a load of nonsense to go through, so it's uh, it, well worth working on how that's going to go Um, because that can cause huge problems. Yeah,
0: yeah. In terms of stakeholders, one thing that we always do if we ever think this is a concern is to just ask when you're having early conversations with the client, who is the decision maker here?
1: Oh, yeah, we always ask that, yeah.
0: Who is the person who's going to be signing things off? And ideally, you want that to be one person. If they start reeling off a big list of names, you just need to be upfront with them, and say that this isn't going to work. You don't get to good design by... You know, agreement by committee that, that's how bad design happens.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: You need to trust in the expertise of the people you're hiring to do a good job. And you need one very confident, well-organized uh, and knowledgeable person. And this goes back to the sort of ideal client checklist around who they are and what they do, but you know, that, that ideal client, that single point of contact that you are aiming for needs to be the person making the decisions ideally.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And, um, yeah, finally, chance of winning the project. you know, you get stuff come along sometimes. Especially in a in a proposal scenario where there could be quite a few agencies going for the work, always ask how many other people are pitching for this.
1: Yeah, definitely. People often I think worry about asking that kind of thing, but it's really important to know because if you're just one of ten agencies pitching for something, that's uh, that's not really good odds. No. Um, unless you've got some kind of special relationship there, or you know, there's there's some way that you know you stand a better chance. Well, you know, when we get kind of like RFPs through, and you know, you're one of like 15 people going through it, it's just so much effort for for that kind of work. 15. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, experience is usually three or four, probably. Well, we've we've had one, so there are loads, but yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not always, you know. It's, but but even that many is quite a lot to be up against in a in a thing that's going to take a lot of your effort to put together. So, a lot of the time, there are jobs that we would quite like to do. Because again, often big name clients, which would look nice as case study and all that kind of thing. But just the chance of us actually getting it is, is so low, knowing who we're kind of up against and, and the fact that they're maybe a bit more suited to that kind of pitch process or the, the way that these guys are going to choose who they're, who they're going to work with.
0: And if, if it is a pitch scenario, just say, do you mind me asking who the other people pitching are? It gives you an idea of, you know, the scale of the players if they start reeling off a load of really heavy hitting agencies that seem way over your league you can either go whole hog and just try and win it yeah. and, and try and blow them away or you can uh, just think oh man there's absolutely no chance of us getting this let's not waste our time and spend days and days on a proposal that we've got no chance of winning
1: yeah we, we we would rarely do that because uh just you know being a being a smaller team it's just making those proposals and, and writing that pitch and preparing for it is just such a such an effort for for time that we need to be doing work really
0: yeah, I think for us, any if there's any more than three other people or three people total in the, in the pitch, then it has to be a really good opportunity for us to consider putting ourselves forward. Yeah, definitely. Or, you know, we've got to be pretty confident we're going to get it. Uh, we probably wouldn't bother if there was more than five. The odds are just not in your favor. Uh, I would say that if the client hasn't seen anybody yet and they're thinking about it and you're the first person they've spoken to, this happens quite often where people will go to one agency first, get a price. And then I'm um going about it and then go, oh, I wonder if we can get this cheaper. Um, it's because the people don't have any experience in what they're asking for. It's like when you go and um, do some decoration work on your house or something, some renovation work, and you've got no idea how much stuff costs. So you're going to speak to one guy and you do a lot of teeth sucking and think, oh, that's a bit expensive. And you often go and get a couple of quotes so you can compare it and make a decision. What often happens is you'll go for the middle one, right?
1: Oh, of course, every time.
0: Exactly. People always go for the middle. So what you should do to try and avoid this, if you're the first people they're speaking to, don't give them one price, give them three. Yeah. Give them a choice, give them a scale, and then they won't go looking elsewhere for that perspective scale. They'll th- They'll see a perspective in front of them, and with any luck, they'll just pick the middle one. So make the middle one what you want them to buy. Nice. Make the lower one what they've asked for, make the middle one what you want them to buy, and then go crazy with an upper, upper limit and go, well, this is the bonkers one. If they go for this, we'll be laughing.
1: That is incredibly manipulative of you, but I, I <laughs> like it. Uh, <laughs> Using a bit
0: of a uh, psychology of uh, buying.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: No. But uh, you, you can avoid them having to go elsewhere and looking for other opinions by giving them some perspective.
1: No, I th- and I think um, one thing that ties into this is is their experience of buying, you know, your your type of service before as well. So it's quite often in these situations that the people making decisions, you can tell they're not making decisions for the right reasons, uh, and that's the time when you kind of, or, or at least know whether you're going to go forward this this pitch or not, because you just know that someone's going to come along and maybe wow them with the amazing PowerPoint presentation. that the kind of salesperson will step in and do that, whereas we'd go along and our, our kind of sales pitch process is is slightly different. And isn't based around that kind of thing so that's sometimes when we choose to not go for something when we know that our way of selling would kind of fall on deaf ears with with this kind of client
0: on that point i would say that it's important to not feel like you are constrained in the way you want to present your solution true yep i would say that don't be afraid to challenge the brief don't be afraid to present yourself in a way that they're not expecting and don't be afraid to propose something completely different to what they're asking if you think it's the right decision.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Uh, and uh, Often we, we get those kind of things through and think, oh, you know, it seems like a terrible process to go through, but then call them up and say, is this really what you're thinking? And turns out they, they weren't and they're, they're open to new ideas. So always good, even if you think it looks awful to, to have a phone call or, or try and get them on the phone and, and talk about it in detail and see what they're really thinking because you, you might be surprised.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did it just last week, put in a proposal. They send you, it's not really a brief, they send you a shopping list. Mm. There's absolutely no way you can spec out all the things on that list. You know, there's a massive discovery process that needs to happen Yeah. in order for you to even understand what they're asking for and the scope that lies therein. So, there's no, anyone who puts a price on those types of things are really just ripping you off because they're going to be massively overcharging you for all the unknowns that are in that brief. Oh, completely you. So, we'll be quite upfront with people and just tell them that this is our proposal instead you're not giving them what they asked for but you're giving them an alternative that you might be able to upsell and it might seem like a better alternative
1: seem it is a better alternative yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i mean that that's a uh, very much um how we're working these days as well so because so many people come to us with really complex things they want to build we just can't even tell them how much it's going to be or you know and, and so we we adopt that exact same way of doing Um, a a longer process with uh, iteration towards something great. And uh, some people buy it, some people don't. Sounds like a topic for another time. It does indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, just
0: to wrap up, I think I would say, you know, enjoy it. I mean, think about, think about your team and the types of things you're actually going to enjoy working on. If it feels like it's going to be a real ball ache to work on this thing and no one's going to enjoy it or the subject matter is really dry, you know, don't do it. Just, just, Take on things that you think you're going to enjoy.
1: Yeah, completely. You know, you've got to come to work and, and look forward to it. So uh, that's a very important point.
0: And you know, everything we talked about today is just you know our perspective on the list of criteria that we go through in making these decisions. It is a judgment call. This isn't a hard and fast set of rules to run your business by. You know, You need to make these decisions yourself where you draw the line on each one of these things. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overstretch yourself. Don't take on too much risk. And just make sure you do a good job. And if you do all those things, then you're going to be successful. You're going to have a nice agency. You're going to get a good reputation. People are going to be falling over themselves to work with you. So
1: Definitely. Keep it simple, stupid.
0: Absolutely. Oh, hey. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there for today. If you've got any questions, comments, or feedback, you can go to our website at perspective.fm. All the show notes will be there. We'll do a little write-up of this episode and these points that we've covered. If you've got anything you'd like to contribute to this, then please send us a message. There should be some contact links on our sites. You can find us on Twitter at underscore perspective.fm. All the other links are on our websites. Thanks to everybody who has been rating us on iTunes. That's been really useful. It helps people find us. So any of our listeners out there who haven't done that yet, please uh, go to iTunes, give us a rating, tell them how much you love the show. Again, you'll find links to do that on the websites. I've been John Dark from Every Interaction, at Dark John on Twitter, everyinteraction.com, at everyinteract on Twitter. And where can people find you, Tom?
1: Uh, you can find uh, stuff about Lighthouse at um, wearelighthouse.com. On Twitter, we are at wearelighthouse. If you really wanted to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Haste. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on again. Cool, man. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm going to see you all next time.
1: See you later.